Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Mother's Day is almost here. Have you found that truly special sentimental gift for your mom yet? Don't worry, I got you. MyLifeInABook.com is a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Here's how it works. Every week, MyLifeInABook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions that you want to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature And MyLifeInABook.com compiles all of her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges that she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and your children can treasure forever. Your mom has given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. I loved this idea so much that I've started my own My Life in a Book for my children to have. The thought of my son and daughter being able to learn about my life story as they grow into their own adulthood is truly special. It's been an enjoyable journey of self-reflection for me too, with questions like, which one event made the greatest impact on your life? It's brought back memories I didn't even know I had. I love it, and I know your mother will too. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SERIALNAPPER for 10% off today. Hey everyone, konnichiwa, Nikki Young here, back with my new true crime podcast, Serial Napper. Thanks so much for tuning in. I feel like this episode took me a little bit longer than usual to put together. After the Reddit murders case I covered in episode 8, I had to take a bit of a step back. Honestly, my heart has been feeling incredibly heavy. There's been a lot of young lives lost, especially in 2020. I wanted to ask, have you guys been following the Gannon Stout case? He was a little boy who was brutally abused and murdered by his stepmother. The affidavit in this case was released just the other day, and I've spent most of my time going through it, which has completely turned my world upside down. What that little boy went through before he died is unimaginable. Now, I have a little boy myself, so it really hits home. I've shed a lot of tears, and I can't seem to shake it. 
Unfortunately, tonight's story isn't any lighter. Apologies in advance. This story covers rape, torture, murder, all at the hands of four teenage boys. We're taking it back to Japan tonight for the case of Junko Furuta. Now, if you like this episode and this podcast, I would love if you could take a few minutes to review me on whatever podcasting app or website you're listening to me on. Now, let's jump in. Junko was a 16-year-old girl who attended a high school in Misato in Setaima Prefecture here in Japan. Misato is only about 40 minutes away from where I'm currently living, and it's incredibly difficult to imagine this kind of thing happening so close to my home. Japan is an incredibly safe country, seriously. I have never felt more safe walking around by myself at night. In fact, in 2015, Japan had one of the lowest murder rates in the entire world. Now, by all accounts, Junko was a well-behaved young woman. She didn't smoke, she didn't drink alcohol, and she didn't do drugs. She was also extremely beautiful and popular in school. She lived with her parents and her two brothers, and she was the middle child. She worked very hard both in school and after school at her part-time job. She had a really bright future to look forward to. On November 25th, 1988, she would be kidnapped by four teenage boys and subjected to one of the most brutal cases of rape and torture, lasting 44 days of extreme hell before she would take her last breath. Now, I mentioned that Junko was extremely beautiful. She had the attention of many of the boys at school, including that of Hiroshi Mayano, Hiroshi was 18 years old and was seen as a bit of a school bully. He used to drive expensive sports cars and he wore the most expensive clothing. He also had a tight-knit crew of friends that surrounded him all the time. He was rumored to be affiliated with the Yakuza. Now, if you aren't familiar with the Yakuza and who they are, they are a popular crime organization here in Japan dating back to the 17th century. Some of the common activities of the Yakuza are extortion, blackmail, smuggling, prostitution, drug trafficking, gambling, etc. Just, you know, those typical organized crime type of things that they tend to get into. But that's enough about them. This isn't really what the story is about. I just wanted to mention it. With ties to an organization like this, you can imagine that most people at the school feared Hiroshi. So when Hiroshi asked Junko out, many were surprised that she was brave enough to turn him down. Of course, she was very sweet, very polite, as always, but Hiroshi was definitely not used to being told no. That day on November 25th, Junko was riding her bike home from her part-time job when she came across Hiroshi and his friend Nobuharu. Hiroshi had ordered Nobuharu to kick Junko off her bike and then he would pretend to basically rescue her. So after Junko was knocked to the ground, Hiroshi helped her up and offered to escort her home and, you know, keep her safe. Of course, Hiroshi had no intent of helping her at all. He tricked her as they walked together, luring her into an abandoned warehouse. 
Hiroshi threatened to kill her as he raped her in the warehouse, but this would just be the beginning of the absolute hell that Junko had to endure. Following this, he dragged her to a hotel and continued to repeatedly force himself upon her. Of course, he was super excited about what he had just done, patting himself on the back, so he had to call his friends to come see. He called Nobuharu, the boy who had kicked Junko off of her bike, and his other friends, Joe Ogura and Yarushi Watanabe. At this point, his friends wanted to join in on the rape. They had all previously gang-raped a different girl one time before. That girl was lucky enough to be let go, but Junko would not be. Around 3 a.m., Hiroshi took Junko to a nearby park where his friends were waiting. You might think this could be her opportunity to escape. However, they had found her home address from a notebook in her backpack and told her that they knew where she had lived and that Yakuza members would kill her family if she attempted to escape. The boys decided to keep her held hostage so that they could continue to abuse her. They took Junko to Nobu Haru's house in the Ayasi district as his parents were out of town. Once there, Junko was ordered to call her family and tell them that she was safe. So she did what she was told because of their threats. She was forced to say that she had run away, but she was safe and just staying with a friend. She was also forced to ask her mother to stop the police investigation into her disappearance. Unfortunately, this phone call to her parents would be a huge mistake, preventing just about any chance of her rescue. She couldn't possibly begin to guess the unimaginable horrors that lay ahead of her for the next 44 days. Now, here is the part that makes me really sick and completely infuriated. I just can't understand it. Things could have been stopped here, but they weren't. During her stay at one of the boys' house, Junko was initially told to pretend to be the girlfriend of one of the kidnappers. However, Nobuharu's parents eventually came to the realization that Junko wasn't there by her own free will. They did literally nothing to help her. Actually, they assured the boys that they wouldn't call the police on them. Now, according to the parents' statement later, they knew of Hiroshi's Yakuza affiliation and said that they were worried about retaliation for getting involved. They were also afraid of their own son, who was known to be extremely violent towards them. And so this poor girl continued to be held captive, raped, and tortured in the most brutal of ways, and they did absolutely nothing to help. Even as they heard her screams and cries coming from the other room, they ignored it. Now, I'm going to go through a list of just some of the things that were done to Junko, and I guess you could say this is a trigger warning this is literally the most brutal case of torture I have ever heard of. It's not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's not really for anyone's ears, and it makes me sick to my stomach to even say some of these things. The things these boys did reminds me very much of the toy box killer. They were sadistic, pure evil monsters. So you've had your warning, you can skip ahead if you want, but here it goes. 
She was humiliated, kept naked most of the time. She was raped every day, both vaginally and anally, by more than a hundred men. Hiroshi had invited other affiliated gang members over to participate in the rapes of the 16-year-old Junko, and it's estimated that she had gone through about 500 rapes in total. At one point, she was raped by 12 different men in one single day. They would often use her as a toilet, urinating on her when they had finished doing what they had to do. The degradation was just starting. My family is getting ready to make a big move across the ocean to a place where English isn't the spoken language. This isn't my first rodeo, so I'm making sure I'm fully prepared by learning the language ahead of time. Sure, I know I can use an app once I get there, but you'd be shocked by how much gets lost in translation. I want to talk like a local, which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in true accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factors No Prep, No Mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes. Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factors chef-crafted meals that include different nutritional options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factors fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian approved No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. We're talking restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon because eating healthy doesn't have to be boring. Personally, I love not having to overthink what I'm going to eat every single day because that's half the battle. And I don't have to bother with shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. But the best part is, 
These meals are delicious with ingredients you can trust. Crush your wellness goals this May. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code napper50 at factormeals.com slash napper50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. They amused themselves by inserting objects in her anus and vagina, including a bottle, an iron bar, scissors, a hot light bulb, roasting needles, grilled chicken skewers, and a lit firework. Beyond that, they starved Junko, and they forced her to eat live cockroaches and drink her own urine to survive. Junko often had to sleep naked on the balcony during the winter, and in Japanese winters, the temperature tends to drop below zero. Likewise, they would force her to sit for hours in a freezer. The boys also hung her from the ceiling, where they would beat her with golf clubs, iron rods, and bamboo sticks. One of the most revolting acts and I mean, obviously, these are pretty disgusting things. They took a pair of pliers to her nipple, and they ripped it off. At one point, when she was about 20 days into her kidnapping, halfway through the whole ordeal, the attackers were resting after drinking a little bit too much, so she tried to call the police. Unfortunately, she was caught and punished by having her feet set on fire with burning lighter fluid. And as if that wasn't enough, they burned her eyelids with hot wax and lighters. There actually came a second call to the police, a second chance of being rescued. One of the friends of the boys who participated in one of the raping sessions felt guilty. Yeah, yeah, he, he felt guilty. Believe it or not, apparently he was bullied into participating in the rape, and he felt guilty, so he told his parents. And as a result, they sent the police out to the house to investigate. Now, the officers spoke to the parents, who owned the house, who were, at the time, covering for the boys, and they told them that there wasn't any girl being held captive in their home. They also invited the police inside, which completely threw the authorities off guard. So, the authorities assumed that all must be well then. The police declined the invitation and left without checking the house. This poor girl was absolutely fighting for her life at this point, enduring things that I can't imagine anyone surviving. If the parents were afraid to go to the police themselves for fear of retribution, all right, fine. But they were given the opportunity to say something to the police who were already at their door, and they didn't. Now, I have to hope that they invited the police in because they really wanted them in there to see what was happening for themselves. But unfortunately for Junko, this wasn't to be. Had the police searched the house and actually gone in and located Junko, her ordeal would have only lasted 16 days in total, and she may have well recovered from her injuries. 
The two police officers who went to the door were later fired for failing to follow procedures. On the 44th day, the final day of Junko's life, the boys challenged Junko to a game of mahong. Apparently, this is a popular card game of skill, strategy, and calculation, and involves a degree of chance. It's very popular in Asian countries. Junko won the game. Now, I have no idea how she was in any state to participate in such a card game, let alone win the game, but she did. Junko was strong. She was a fighter. Of course, Junko winning made them angry. So they treated her to a beating with an iron barbell and fire by setting her legs, arms, face, and stomach alight after pouring lighter fluid on them. Being already badly beaten, dehydrated, and malnutritioned, Junko fell into a shock and she died the following day on day 44. Now the group of boys had to get rid of the body. So... They wrapped her up in blankets, and they shoved her body into a travel bag. They then put her body into a 55-gallon drum and filled it with wet concrete. Around 8 p.m. that night, they disposed of the drum in Koto, Tokyo. It wasn't until a year later that her body was found, and when the body was recovered, it was discovered that Junko was pregnant when she was killed, likely as a result of one of hundreds of rapes. Now, out of pure luck, pure luck, the police had been questioning Hiroshi over a disappearance of a completely different girl, and he had confessed to murdering Junko in this interview. He thought that the police already knew what happened, So he kind of blew the whistle on himself and his friends. It didn't really matter anyway. The sentencing of the four boys will make you sick to your stomach and question the entire judicial system. Now, I don't know a whole lot about the judicial system in Japan, Um, But things like this do happen in North America as well, and it seems to be just a loophole in the law. Despite the severity of the crime, the boys had been underage at the time it was committed, and so they received a very, very light sentence. Hiroshi, who was deemed to be the ringleader, was sentenced to 20 years in jail and was released by his late 30s. The other three boys involved served only seven years in prison, and when they came out of jail, they were given new protected identities so that they could move on. They could have a completely new life to live. They could be happy. They could have children. They could get married. All of the things that Junko could never do now. Today... As I speak, as I record this, each one of them is already out of jail. They're all in their late 30s and out of jail for committing this heinous crime. And it gets even sadder. Hiroshi's mother completely blamed Junko for her son being in prison. She didn't see her as the victim. She saw her more as the perpetrator, and she spat on and desecrated Junko's grave. 
Hiroshi's parents were ordered to pay $425,000 in restitution to Junko's parents. But instead, they sold their house and they gave that money to three of the boys who were released after their seven years in jail. Junko's parents would never receive a dime and her mother found herself living in a mental institution, which... I can understand. If something like this had happened to my daughter, I don't think that I could possibly carry on. Only one of the four original boys would go on to lead lawful lives. So, I mean, what comes around goes around. Just because they only spent seven years in jail doesn't mean that they went on to live, you know, the most innocent, lawful lives. One of the boys was released in August 1999 and went back to prison in July of 2004 for seven years for beating a guy who he thought was luring his girlfriend away from him. Another one of the teens, Nobuharu, was arrested in 2018 for beating and stabbing a male company employee following a dispute he had with him. Now, he beat the victim in the right shoulder with a metal pipe, and then he slashed his throat with a knife. In court, he partially denied the allegations, saying, I certainly stabbed and beat him, but I did not intend to kill him. <sighs> All right, guys, that was a tough one. <laughs> <sighs> that brings us to the end of that story, and I'm really not okay knowing that most of these guys are living lives in the area with new names, new identities, living completely under the radar. I always knew I wanted to cover this case when I started my true crime podcast, and I really hope I did Junko justice because... In the end, she is the only one who matters, and she needs to be remembered. We can't let things like this happen. Now, looking at one of the past episodes um, that I covered, the Hello Kitty murders that involved the 14-year-old girl, um, I had a listener comment saying, you know, that they believe that children should not receive adult sentencing. So I would love to know your feedback on that. I'd love to get your opinion what do you think? Do you, do you think that these guys deserve to, to get new identities and to live a new life? Does it depend on the crime? Does it depend on the individual? Does it depend on the age? What do you think? Now, I think for my next episode, I need something a little bit lighter. If you have an interesting case you'd like me to cover, please get in touch. I am always open to new ideas. This one was heavy, the last case was heavy, and the Gannon Stout case, like, has my heart completely broken. So if you have anything that we can cover that is maybe slightly a shade or two lighter, I would love it. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, if you like this episode or this series, I would super appreciate any reviews you could provide on whatever podcast app you're listening on. I am so thankful for your support. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Serial Napper, on Apple if you search Serial Napper, or on Spotify. You don't even need a premium to listen to podcasts. Just search Serial Napper and I'll come up. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer.
Bye. I'm Dean. I'm the dad. I'm Laura. I'm the mom. And I'm Crystalyn. I'm the daughter. And together we are Family Plot. The Family Plot podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits. We are PG-13. I'm almost 15 now. Don't ruin the commercial. Do catch us looking into special topics like the origins of fairy Sherlock Holmes. And the trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's corner. But behave, you two. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye!